0: Heavenly Father, we ask that as we hear from the gospel and as we see the two different reactions to your coming as a king. We ask, Lord, that you would give us grace to always be the second to always be the have the reaction of the wise men adoring rather than Herod, fearing and striking out. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, happy tenth day of Christmas. We are still in Christmas, and so it is still right to say Merry Christmas, although you probably aren't hearing it too much outside of the church. I saw a Christmas tree on the tree lawn as I drove to church today and thought, they just don't get it. They just don't get it. But We did things the proper way, as I saw a meme on Facebook this week, and the tree stays up till Epiphany, because it is still indeed Christmas until Epiphany on January 6th. Like the food that we eat during Christmas, this time of feasting, just like it's rich and abundant, and there's so many different varieties, so is the scripture readings, so are the scripture readings, um, During this time of the year, um, you know, you go into parties usually, right? In December, and there's these spreads, right? These huge tables with the cookies stacked, and the brownies, and the shrimp, and the crackers, and all of those rich things that we don't necessarily, well, we probably shouldn't have the rest of the year. And so it is with the readings, this time of year, and it's rather frustrating as a preacher during this time of year because there's so much good stuff to get into um, during Christmas tide between December 25th and January 6th. If you look with me, just really quickly, open your prayer books to page 688. I want to point this out to you, as I did to the 8 o'clock service, page 688. Or if you have one of our calendars at home, you can see this. This is pages of the prayer books that we generally don't read much, right? But on page 688, you see principal feasts and holy days, right? So these are called red letter days. Um, these are days that we celebrate festively in the church year. And the first part, the principal feasts, are the 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 biggest festivals, holy days are secondary, but festivals nonetheless. And we see between the 25th and January 1st, January 6th, how many festival days do you see in both categories? Count them up. Well, I see five. I see five. Starting with Christmas Day, December 25th, and St. Stephen's Day, the 26th, Holy Innocence Day, the 28th, the Circumcision and Holy Name of Our Lord, January 1st, and the Epiphany, January 6th. And each one of these feasts has so much to tell us and have rich scripture readings attached to them. But unfortunately, in our modern world, we don't have time to celebrate them. And even those of us that would like to celebrate them, your clergy included, uh, are usually exhausted by this point. And so uh, we certainly uh, don't celebrate them the way that perhaps the church years ago did. We get lucky once in a while. Sometimes uh, some of the days fall on the first Sunday of Christmas, like St. John's Day which fell on Christmas 1 this past Sunday. But today's readings connect, actually, two of these great feasts. The feast of the holy innocents, martyrs in deed but not will, and the feast of epiphany, the revelation of the epiphany of Jesus to the Gentiles, This Sunday, and I was looking at my past sermons, and there's just so much in the epiphany texts that one could bring out with exegesis. I've decided against that this year. And instead of digging in, I've decided to go for a broader arch and arcing uh, look at, at these two gospel texts. One of the things, if you're paying close attention to the calendar, you'll notice that um, today's readings for the second Sunday of of, uh, Christmas are actually the readings, um, the second half of the gospel reading, right? So today's reading proper would begin with verse 13 of Matthew 2. So look with that, look with me at that. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child to his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night, and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. Now, if you start with that passage, which our lectionary has us do, It's assuming that we know the rest of the story, right? Because you should be asking yourself at verse 13, now when they had departed, now when who departed, right? Who's departing here? What's going on? But of course, the epiphany reading starts in Matthew 2, chapter 1, and gives us the story of the wise men. And I'll use wise men and magi, interchangeably here. And so the wise men visiting Jesus and adoring Jesus marks a great contrast with Herod, doesn't it? Don't they? We have two types, two reactions to the coming of the Son of God, to the coming of Jesus. And they're mingled together in the plot of today's readings. We see first, today, liturgically at least, Herod's reaction, right? Herod, a most wicked king, reacting out of fear and trying to kill Jesus. That's his reaction. St. Augustine puts it succinctly as he contrasts the two and says, As the Magi seek a redeemer, Herod fears a successor. And we see that, don't we? Look at the, the contrasting reactions to Jesus. Let's start with the wise men, actually. Chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. We see this. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw with Mary, his mother, the child, sorry, with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So we see the wise men react with adoration. We see them react with gift-giving. And we see them react in a way, in the way that believers Ironically, people that are Gentiles, not even part of God's chosen Old Testament people, react faithfully. Now consider Herod in verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he'd ascertained from the wise men, so Herod doesn't act in adoration at all. He feigns it to the wise men earlier in the, in the reading. He tells them that he wants to come and worship, right? Look back with me, earlier in the reading, at that interchange. What does Pharaoh, what does Pharaoh? What does Herod say? When Herod the king, this is verse three, heard this, he was troubled. Verse 7, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. But of course, Pharaoh has no intent of worshiping whatsoever. We see two completely different reactions You know, our modern culture loves to focus on seeking, right? It's all about the journey, or it's all about searching, or it's all about believing. But our modern culture never takes the next step and asks, to what end? Or to what? Right? I always have to laugh when I see Emblazoned around Christmas time, the slogan, believe. Okay, believe. Believe in what? Seek. Well, you don't see that one, right? Seek what? Our whole modern and postmodern at this point philosophy. Has crept into our thinking that somehow it's all about just seeking or just believing or just searching, and that somehow what we seek doesn't matter, right? You've heard it. People will say, well, as long as you believe in something, or as long as you worship something, right? Or as long as you're searching, it's all about getting there. It's not about being there, right? It's not about the destination. It's about The journey. But when we think about that, it's utter nonsense. To seek something that's not knowable or unattainable is the height of foolishness. Think about the magi. If they were just seeking, they'd be wandering around in the desert still. What idiots. They were seeking a king. They were seeking for the purpose of adoring. And so we see the short sightedness of our modern, postmodern philosophy. But there's something worse yet than seeking without an end, and that's seeking to destroy. Seeking to destroy. This evil is what Herod engages in, right? He seeks something good and true in order to destroy it, the depth of wickedness. In today's readings, we see these two types of seeking, but we also see delineated very clearly that what we seek and how we seek, to what end we seek and search, matters more than the seeking or searching, right? Now, it's true that if you never start seeking or searching, you're never going to find anything. So, to that point, it is important to seek. And yet, if it was all about seeking and searching, Herod would be a virtuous man. He's seeking genuinely. He's seeking earnestly. He wants the wise men to go and diligently find this Christ child. Now, he has no intention of adoring him. He wants to kill him. But it isn't all about the seeking, is it? Herod has long been inspired by the devil in his work, and he shows the church, the readers of Matthew's gospel here today, what it looks like to seek with evil intent, right? Herod seeks, as Lucifer seeks, to unseat God, to unthrone the newborn king, or dethrone the newborn king more properly. You see, one of the uh, church fathers I was reading makes this comparison and says that in this story, Herod almost fully embodies Satan's agenda, but it didn't start here. Herod takes worship and twists it into destruction, do you see? He feigns worship in order to bring destruction. And rather than coming and giving gifts and adoring the king of kings, thousands of children, the innocents, are slaughtered. And so we see how the fallen world under Satan's domain reacts to the coming king, Inherit. We see how the devil himself reacts to Jesus, in Herod's action, with destruction, with threats, with fear. And then by contrast, we see the whole, the Magi. These people from Arabia, or uh, scholars disagree where they're from, actually, if you go back and look at it, but the earliest sources say Arabia. And we see them coming as strangers, people who are searching and seeking but searching and seeking to adore. Such men were Gentiles, and yet they come here in humility to worship a foreign king. Think about that for a moment. These Gentiles, great magi, come in humility to worship a foreign king. St. Augustine says, What were these magi but the first fruits of the Gentiles? The Israelitish shepherds and Gentile Magians, one from afar and one from near, hastened to the one cornerstone. Their humility leads them to the Savior, but to the Savior not just of the Jews, but to the whole world. So by contrast, Herod greets this news of salvation, with wrath, and murder of innocent children, and the Magi greet it with adoration and gift-giving. There's many different things that I could point out about these scriptures, but I want to leave you with two. And the first is that in Herod, we see human nature unmade. In Herod, we see human nature unmade. We see what happens as a person continues on in sin and malice. We see the natural end of the fall that started in Genesis 3. We see a man craving power. We see a man desperately trying to hold on to his throne to the point that he kills his own two sons, Josephus tells us. What are thousands of children to Herod? Nothing. He kills his own flesh and blood to retain power. He kills one of his wives to maintain power. He's willing to do anything because he sees himself as God. And he sees himself as king and master. He is man unmade. And he dies as a beast. Conversely, second thing, we see the Magi. We see these wise men of great wealth and power who are willing to enter into adoration through humility. We see mankind, human nature, remade, restored. We see the Magi demonstrating to us just what human nature can look like when God's grace is poured into it. And of course, we see Jesus Christ, the ultimate remaking of human nature. I want to close with our collect of the day, which we haven't read yet, but I want to point it out to you so you can see this in your bulletin. Look what we will pray. O God, who wonderfully created and yet more wonderfully restored the dignity of human nature. That's a statement of incarnation. That's a statement of what Jesus' birth actually did on a metaphysical level, on a deep, the deepest level, to God has created us, but yet more wonderfully has restored human nature and the dignity of human nature. And then look at the petition. Grant that we may share the divine life of him Humbled himself to share our humanity, your son Jesus Christ. Grant that we may share the divine life of him who humbled himself to share our humanity, your son Jesus Christ. You see, the wise men get it, but Jesus actually fulfills it. There are two ways. One brings eternal death and the other brings eternal salvation. One is the way of humility. The other is the way of power. Let us always seek with Christ the humility and be given the grace and accept the grace that he gives to be restored in our nature. Amen.